these, this would be one that you'd be most likely to have read. None of these diseases. This is excellent. And he has several chapters on uh, uh, mental health and emo any emotions in here. Uh, this one here, uh, I bought this after it was retired from the library, Love, Hate, Fear, and Anger, uh, written by uh, an unbeliever. And this one here, Better Than Medicine, by Leroy Brownlow. And this one by Dale Carnegie, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And this one by, I read this one years ago, by William Glasser, Reality Therapy. Have any of you familiar with William Glasser? Okay, he's uh, very good, in fact, uh, did a whole lot to refute uh, the material from Sigmund Freud in the university some years back. Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, again a secular psychologist. Overcoming Anxiety by Dr. Gary Collins. This guy wrote a bestseller and was on a multitude of talk shows. He's an atheist um, and a psychiatrist. Dr. Wayne Dyer, your erroneous zones. Uh, this one by Edward Fudge, Christianity Without Ulcers. And this one here, uh, Encyclopedia of Psychological Problems by Naramore. Okay, and these two here, I have a couple of quotes. Years ago, I got interested in the subject. In fact, I might add too, Barbara has read, I think, just about all of these books and has read a lot uh, on this subject also, and some of you, I'm sure, have read, read some on the subject. But I got interested many years ago just based on articles that I would read and became more and more convinced that your emotions probably have as much to do with not only your mental health, but your physical health as anything about you. Um, there are some doctors that will say that 75% of all physical ailments owe their origin to the emotions. And I haven't read from any doctor, but that they'll say at least 50% of problems have their origin in the emotions. Now this is not to say they're not literal physical problems. It's to say the starting place was the emotions. Was, right. Okay, she's been correcting my grammar on that. That was right. I don't know. I wasn't paying any attention. You always tell me I'm misusing was and were. <laughs> so I was double checking that as I said it. He does. But, it's just a habit for whatever But anyway, that uh, uh, that uh, we want tonight to throw the floor open and make some observations, uh, look at a few passages of scripture, uh, some definitions and all, and actually set the stage for the study. And then we'll become very formal uh, with the actual research information and all next week. Uh, throw this one out at first. We use the word emotion all the time. How would you define it? You might want to give me just a definition of emotion. We all, it's one of those things where we, we all know what it is. Feelings. Feelings. Okay, feelings. All right, uh, what do we mean by feelings? And that's right. 
Now, we all know what we mean by feeling. Right, but I'm saying, <laughs> what do we mean by, we use that term. Uh, you could almost mental say mental reactions to feelings. Okay, there's um, a state of mental being that makes some impression on you physically. Mental reactions to a stimulus. Okay. We got our college definition right there. <laughs> Mental reaction to a stimulus, but uh, the emotions are always something that manifests themselves in some way in the body. In fact, a lie detector test would not work uh, unless this was the case. And lie detector tests will work at about 98 to 99% of the population. And now there are those that have such absolute control uh, over certain parts that they can actually go through a lie detector test. But for about 98-99% of us, even when we want to lie, uh, if we know we're lying, which we would if we want to lie, there will be an emotional response that will be picked up by a lie detector test. Um, okay, a mental state of strong feelings. Okay, now Think of some terms that we use sometimes. Uh, he is a pain in the neck. You ever use that? Yeah. And I'm not going to say the other. But, uh, anyway. Sometimes we don't go quite that loud. <laughs> but how do you think that originated? Pain in the neck. I mean, you think it's just all it's uh, probably because it, it when you get tense from certain kinds of emotions, you get headaches and you get. Right. Neck and shoulder pains. <laughs> one of the places that uh, one of the places that react to our emotions is our neck. And so, when we say that someone is a pain in the neck, that saying originated because it is a literal, actual truth that uh, uh, something can affect you, and you react to it in such a way so that you actually have uh, pain in the neck. How many times have any of us said uh, somebody he or she gives me a headache? Mm -hmm. Okay, we and we know that uh, that something can so uh, aggravate you, or you think in such a way that your head actually aches. That that, that can actually happen. Uh, your blood pressure to go up. Your head hurts. Okay. What about uh, he burns me up? You ever been so mad that you actually your temperature went up? Mm -hmm. You flush. Yeah. When you're okay. That when you you can uh, if a person uh, is experiencing hatred or extreme anger, the heart beats faster, and the bo body temperature actually goes up, and so that's where this statement comes from. He burns with it's a, it's a reaction there. Um, we all know, of course, that uh, just words can evoke tears, right? That uh, how many times have uh, have somebody has said, I, every time I hear that, I have a hard time controlling the tears. Uh, I've seen very strong men in the Marine Corps that, uh, uh, with tears, with the Marine Corps, he, he doesn't play uh, The Star Spangled Banner during the Olympics, uh, after a gold medal, uh, that you sometimes look at those top athletes and they're all up there and seemingly calm and cool and they start to play the Star Spangled Banner and, and raise the flag and and you see the tears flowing uh, many times. Well, obviously then, that there are any number of things that can evoke these physical <clears throat> responses within the body itself. Let's see, uh, 
when I think of such and such, I feel ill. You ever heard him say that or ever experienced that? Have you, is there, are there things that you can think about and just the thinking of them makes you ill? So that makes fun. me sick. Yeah. Okay, it makes me yeah. sick. Um, Think about that. That's I know that, that, that girl and those two kids, man. Yeah. I'm used tonight. Yeah. Uh, I missed well, tonight. I healed them. She confessed. Did she thing. really? Well, I thought there was something. She seemed fakey. Oh, yes. man. What? How disgusting. She drove. She, 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 they evidently bring her. Right. That's a good example. <laughs> it just makes you sick. Well, there are certain things uh, that that made me sick when I was pregnant and the older of them years later or thinking just thinking somebody saying stuff. something about a particular food or something makes you feel nauseated. You know that happened to you too Luke? Well <laughs> sometimes when I'm not feeling real yeah. good and I think about certain food yeah. I fucking get rusty. Same thing. Yeah. Same uh, thing. I had a the a wreck I was involved in when I was 19. It was my fault. Anyway, I was knocked on conscience and the car was uh, totaled, but for at least six months after that, when I would come to an intersection, there were times when I just, without thinking, I couldn't control, I'd throw on my brakes. And sometimes I'd just break into a cold sweat. But I mean that there was just a reaction there and it took me months before I got away from it and could go through an, an intersection and, and feel comfortable. So, obviously then, uh, what are we saying that is affecting uh, the emotion so far? We, we, we all understand the emotion, the different reactions, but so far, what is it that is having all this effect on the emotions? Past experiences, I think, would be okay. relating to something all the time. You're relating, okay. It's some information, right? But isn't that interesting when you think about it that, that we can actually be sitting down and just relating to information that we can get ill, you can have a headache, uh, you can have a stiff neck. Uh, have you ever woke up in the middle of the night perfectly healthy and in a cold sweat? Uh, I have. You know, that I, I, I woke up and, and I thought, well, man, am I coming down with a fever or what? And I realized that I was so concerned about whatever it was that I was thinking about that it was having that kind of response. I mean, the, the sheets might actually be soaking wet with, with sweat. And I'm, I don't have a fever or anything, just a cold sweat. Uh, I have studied, and Barbara, Barbara I can get in a room and, and study. And, and uh, just from studying, uh, be ringing wet with sweat. Just studying. Uh, a book that I mean working so hard at it and all but the emotions and all so wrapped up in the in the material so you, you've got all kinds of uh, responses anybody uh, any other ones that you can think of uh, responses in your body as a result of emotions I, I was not not related to that but I was thinking about Jesus's emotions when he was praying in the garden sweat he was, you know, his sweat was as drops of blood. He was right. so emotional. That's good. Uh, he was, in fact, uh, you know, when you think about it, we just read over that, but the Hebrew writer says, with strong crying and tears. I mean, that wasn't just somebody out there shedding a few tears, that it was strong crying and tears, and as you said, the, the sweat just dripping from his body as 
is blood, obviously, in an emotional state. Uh, when he went to the gravesite of Lazarus, uh, we have him weeping. And another thing I was reading where it says he stood outside Jerusalem and, and wept, and the Greek word that is there means strong crying. In other words, he was really, he knew that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and that the temple was going to be destroyed. And he knew that most of them were not going to accept him. And it bothered him so much that he just stood outside of Jerusalem and cried. It wasn't just a few tears. The, the word carries with it that he just really wept uh, over. And then that's when he makes the statement as a hen would gather her chicks. You know, I would you and you would not allow it. But obviously uh, an emotional being. A lot of emotional words used to uh, represent God uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, we see that just word, everybody's in agreement that just words can affect the emotions. Okay. And the emotions uh, uh, affect you physically. Okay. The British uh, Medical Association uh, made the observation uh, that, and I read this in Leroy, Leroy Brownlow's book uh, on uh, Better Than Medicine, that in, you can, in your emotions, there is not a single solitary cell in your body that's unaffected. That's how strong that, for example, if you're feeling anger, if you're feeling hatred, if you're feeling bitterness, that, or if you're feeling love, there's not, there, there's not a single cell in your body that goes untouched, that it affects. Well, actually, we could even see to start with, you, if you touch the heart, you're affecting the rest of the body, right? Uh, well, it can cause a heart attack. It can cause, in other words, uh, another good statement, uh, I, somebody was scared to death. That has literally happened. And I was reading from one of the sources, and they said, like, uh, during the bombings in World War II uh, in Germany and some of those places that got bombed, that after the bombing, there would always be people that uh, were not touched by the bombs. They would have heart attacks, or there would be people that would just simply go into a, a state of shock, or there would be people that would go out and commit suicide. And then there were large numbers that would go into just deep states of depression. Uh, during times like this. And, and again, we're untouched physically by To show you what some of it can do to you, though, I was reading another article. In India, where they have a lot of poisonous snakes, and they probably lead the world, and, or I don't know, I guess maybe they keep better records in Africa. I don't know if they top Africa or not. But anyway, a number of people that are bitten by snakes. Uh, and see, in a lot of parts of India, they won't kill the snake because of their a Hindu religion, and that snake may be a great-great-granddaddy or something like that, you know, waiting for a chance to come back to something better. But anyway, it's said that uh, <laughs> of all the people that die of snake bites during the, during the course of a year, probably only about half of them have been bitten by a poisonous snake. And said that if you get bit by a snake that is non-poison, but in your mind, you believe it's a poison snake. Your body will react to it exactly uh, as if it were poisonous. And, and if you are scared that you're going to die, then you can go through all the effects and you can literally 
die as a result of it. Well, I think one of your examples, and I think that's really good, if we got a, a call that said that Steve had been in a bad wreck or something, I'd probably have to sit down or, or I mean, you know, you would just be faint and, and, and then somebody, they might call back and say, well, it was an accident and, and you would change entirely, probably rejoice. Okay, now, everybody agree with that statement that you could get information over the phone that's so bad that you may even have to sit down to handle it and yet find out that it's false? Is that right? Everybody would agree to that? So then what are we saying? Is it, uh, is it the thing that happened or is it the reaction to it that caused the, the reaction of the body? It's the... It's your way you accept it whether you believe it or not. If you believe it, then it... Uh, okay, if you believe it, but then in moving beyond that, that is it fair to say that whatever it is that happens, whether uh, somebody says some terrible things, somebody dies, uh, there's a sickness, that it's not the actual event that uh, causes the emotional thing, but it's how you react. But you couldn't react if the thing didn't, if something didn't happen. Yeah, but if you didn't know about it, you wouldn't it's react. Like it didn't happen at all anyway. Right. In other words, you don't react to it until you know about it. It's only it's information you're reacting to. Oh, okay. Okay. Another term, heartache. Sometimes things are so sad that you actually feel like you're heart is broken. We we say heartbroken. Uh -huh. Well, from what I understand, there that on sad, extreme sadness and sorrow. It's the opposite of anger. The your your heart actually slows down and all. And it may be that you're not getting enough oxygen and all, but the heart actually slows down and and the muscles tighten and all. But it, it has a definite uh, effect on the body. Uh, and uh, one chapter in here, the none of these diseases, uh, he titles it's not what you eat, but what eats you that kills you. <laughs> I mean, that's the title of the chapter. Mm -hmm. I think maybe what you might have been trying to get get at beyond what I was thinking of and also Lloyd mentioned the fact that um, I lost my train of thought but anyway <laughs> going back to that is that something can happen and one person can respond in one way to it and be entirely different to the way another person responds and I, I read an example in one of those books I don't remember which one but this, this guy made the statement that he, uh, it was something to the fact I was blue because I had no shoes until I met a man on the street who had no feet. And so at, at first you're blue and you feel bad maybe about something, but then you can see something that's a lot worse and completely change your perspective of that. Okay, that's, that's, yeah, that's what I was getting at uh, too. Here's a statement of emotion is the product of what the mind thinks, whether it's true or false. All right, now, here's a statement. Man produces his own emotions, okay? He produces, that he can actually choose the emotions that he produces, that man produces his own emotions. It's possible to have two people dealing with the same terrible situation and one of them have an emotional reaction that's totally different than the other because of some choices that they're making in their mind. 
And in other words, that when we talk about the title, how we win over emotions, what we're saying through all of this is, number one, emotions can kill you. Uh, emotions can damage your heart. They can damage your arteries. Um, to give you an idea of uh, one illustration that uh, by one of the doctors, of <clears throat> what it does to even all the organs in your body, if you must take your fist and double it up like that, just as hard as you could, and then hold it for a long time, and then you try to open it, what's going to happen? Have you ever done that? Hurt. Hurt, and it's, it's hard to open. You hold it for a long period of time, it doesn't want to open. And, it, and it's actually hard, and it can begin to hurt. And what's happened is you've got that entire area tensed for a prolonged period of time. Well, when a person uh, goes through extreme tenseness and anger and things like that, what you're doing to your fist, he's doing to his heart. He's doing to his kidneys. Uh, to give you an example, uh, you had, we've all had the experience, if you're tense, you go to the bathroom more often, right? If you're tense, you go to the bathroom more often. What's happening there, that's putting a grip on your, on your kidneys and on your bladder and all, and so you go to the bathroom. I used to, when I taught school, there were some children that uh, when it, the closer it got to taking a test, they had to go to the bathroom. And they weren't putting on. They, they didn't understand it and all, they, but they, they just, uh, it's, Mr. Cook, we need to go to the bathroom, you know. And they were honest. You know, they, they needed to go, but it was the tension from the test. And so anyway, I learned to try and create a situation where I could, you know, try not to have the tension and everything like that. But you, we've all experienced that where you can be out and you think, man, I shouldn't have to go to the bathroom now. Uh, but, but tension has, has brought it on. Well, if it has all of those effects then, you can see that, that any of these effects, if they're prolonged, can damage the body. Are well, you are you familiar with biofeedback, Paul? Uh-huh. I've had a lot of biofeedback training. I did, had it uh, during my depression at the beginning and then when I was at Duke uh, in the Combined Medical Specialties Unit, I had uh, biofeedback training. Okay, I had, a, in fact, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Brenda, I had an article that I started to copy and bring and, and didn't but from an, a guy that spoke over in Knoxville. I, it was, uh, we, we didn't make it because it was going to be on a Wednesday night, but Danny and I was going to go over there until we saw it was on, on a Wednesday night. He's a psychologist, and he was speaking at the Presbyterian Church over there, and uh, he was speaking in this whole realm of emotions and spirituality and the effect on your body and all, and he had authored uh, several books in biofeedback, and there's some in the article on it. But uh, when I'm by, by biofeedback, what I'm remembering is it's just other people giving you no, mm -mm, no. So it's something different. It's the same. What what is biofeedback? Uh, well, it, it's a relaxation technique. Right. Um, they put electrodes. They uh, put electrodes all over you, and uh, they have you to tense certain parts of your bodies body and uh, you can hear that it records the not your heartbeat but the nerves maybe electrical yeah yeah the electrical response and then they they teach you how to tighten things and relax them and uh, you can by listening 
you can feel the difference and you can you can learn to do that. You can learn to do that if you concentrate on it. Then they have you I would have to walk sometime and carry a little box that measured the response and you know how certain things would happen. You know, you'd hit something and click real fast, kind of like a Geiger counter. Then you know you'd say, "Relax," because I I didn't know what it was like to to feel to have a relaxed feeling face. You know, it, it, it's really a right. It's uh, one of the things I have down here. The emotions can actually cause the face to draw. They cause the eyes to. Uh, bulge, they can wrinkle the skin, um, the stomach to knot up, excellent, all of all those type things. It can cause the voice to crack, it can cause you to lose your voice. Uh, you can have fear to an extent that you can't move. You just can't move. You can't even run because okay. that you're, you're, you're so scared that your body is just absolutely immobilized physically. Back to the mind. Um, I just recently was reading something, and it does work, to, that, um, and I guess it goes back to the same thing of what you think in your mind, make in your mind, uh, just tell yourself to relax. Think, you know, lay on a hard floor, think of yourself as just a limp rag, and at first, I, you know, I think, I can't do that, I mean, you know, it's doing nothing, but if you just think of it long enough, you can do that. And then just to, to tell your fingers to relax, I think they say to start with your eyelids or whatever. You start at the top and work right. down. And you really can, after a while, if you tell yourself long enough, you can feel the relaxation. And the breathing. Yeah, I've done that before. Have I you? Just, I just get real, real, um, I don't know, get real scared or something. And I'll just say, just relax a bunch of times and I'll just get real That's right. That's real good. That's exactly right. All right, another thing on some of the things, that, and I think if when we see that all the parts of our body are affected by emotion, then obviously we see two potentials there. One is there is real strong potential to damage the body. A real strong potential to damage the body and bring on sicknesses and illnesses and all kinds. But also there is an equally strong potential to aid the body. In, in the same way. In fact, uh, turn over to Proverbs 17, 22. Come, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, about mind over the body. Uh, I saw on a program last night a woman that was having abdominal surgery that was going to try to do it just through hypnosis. And she, she got through the first hour of the abdominal incision with just hypnosis, no anesthesia, anesthesia or anything, but she finally gave into it and had to... Uh, Proverbs 17, 22. Had to have the anesthesia, but... Uh, what, what is it? Man thinketh in his heart. So uh, this one was, uh, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones that on the positive side, uh, for example, laughter. One of the healthiest things you can do for your body is laugh. And, and that's why that when sometimes we even make the statement about certain individuals, they make me feel good, that's a literal truth. Uh, somebody that has a good sense of humor and, and, and can get other people to laughing, 
it literally makes you feel good. All right, one of the things that laughter does, it's the opposite of, of anger and fear and all of this. It relaxes the muscles. And so when you laugh, you're in, in fact, that's why you're in a very vulnerable state when you laugh. All your muscles are just totally reacted. If somebody hits you, you've had it, you know. But, <laughs> Isn't but, there uh, some kind of chemical that's released, too, when you laugh? When you laugh, it releases and it causes just all of your muscles just to relax. But it's one of the healthiest things you can do is laugh. And also, that uh, how many times have any of us... Uh, had a situation where you man, you had a hard day and you just feel pretty bad, and uh, you and it, you're letting it affect you in various ways, and then you get some good news. I mean, really good news, and and you totally forget that you're tired, and you and you just feel great and you feel relaxed and everything like that. How many times that uh, those of us that like with school that you've been uh, stu you've studied and you're tensed and you went in you take the test. And then you walk out and you actually feel you've done well on the test. And it's just like your your body just relaxes. Just yeah, I've feel. had that happen to me a bunch of times. I've just gone through all my work and I feel like I'm about to die. And I walk out and all of a sudden I feel like I've made it through the day. And I feel so excited and I just feel good again. Just the opposite too. Well, just you the can feel real good and, and hear something or something go much. wrong. And just all of a sudden you're tired and down. That's exactly right. Uh, what depression is, for example, is dwelling. If, if any one of us dwell on something that's unpleasant, like we talk about depression, the truth is we all experience depression sometimes. I mean, there may, there's other things. But I'm saying that if we dwell on whatever it is, it's unpleasant. If, uh, if somebody dies that I love and, and, and it's, it, it, the period of mourning is healthy, but then if I continue to dwell on it and dwell on it and I won't let it go, then I can depress myself. That any, anything that you just dwell on co completely like that. And the same with some of the other feelings and all. Uh, for example, somebody really cheats you. I mean, they're real dishonest and they cheat you and beat you out of some money or take something in a dishonest way. And it really makes you mad. And of course, your heart races and you have all these negative effects. You know, even though you got reason to be mad, you got these negative effects. Okay, you get over it. What does it take to cause you to have to go through that entire experience again? Reminder. Just a reminder. Yeah, just to look at it. Just, just, right, just to look at that person. And your body can go through every bit of that experience again. And, and you can look at them and go through all that experience again, or you can bring it up. In other words, uh, that when a, we've had a bad experience, constantly talking about it, uh, we're damaging ourselves. We, we just keep causing ourselves to relive it and relive it and re, relive it. In other words, there, it's good to get it out. I think of minds are looking for a solution for this. You've got these problems. Right. It's always a, a problem to you until you can solve it. And you, you're just, as long as you dwell on it, you're trying to solve that problem. Right. And then sometimes, though, we have things where people have wronged us, and they, they just flat beat us. And, uh, you know, this, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's time to turn loose of it. And uh, I think when, I as long as you're working on it, that's actually, uh, in other words, what, you then. Right. The one constructive way to use anger is to do something. Now, if anger, if you're reacting to anger 
by doing something about whatever it is that is bothering you, that's actually a constructive channeling of the emotion. In other words, that God didn't create us with bad emotions. Angry, uh, being angry can be good because being angry can motivate you to do something. Uh, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers was started by a lady that got mad. And, and she started a good organization. Well, God uh, gets angry, so it has to be okay. God gets angry. Jesus went into the temple, turned over tables, took a whip and all. But he saw something that was there, and it says zeal consumed him. But he did something. He released the anger, and he went in and he did something. So releasing of it uh, in a constructive way is, is actually good for the, for the anger itself. But then if somebody has uh, made you angry, or they've wronged you, I mean, they've really wronged you and made you bitter, but there's nothing you can do about it. It's just one of those things in life where there's nothing you can do about it. We've all experienced that. I have, and you just don't live too many years. Uh, Maybe even a, a child, you may have the, the big guy that, that has called you names or whatever, and what can you do? The guy's bigger and stronger than you are, so there's not a whole lot you can do about it, you know. Then to constantly call that up, is to force your body to relieve it, relive that experience over and over and over again, and it does it to its detriment. In other words, the quicker you can put that behind you and just simply move on and not think about it, the better, the better off you'll be. You would be better off to go to him and try to solve it with him, wouldn't you? Right. Better off to try and solve it, uh, and then if you can't, uh, to avoid. Uh, just to uh, avoid, but, but not to have a situation where it just keeps being brought up all the time. Now, Don't you think the reason we have such a hard time with that, maybe, is that we live in a world and of sin and, and things are all around us and I think you have to make, maybe, maybe have to make more of an effort to, um, especially people that are not Christians, to think on good things. Yeah, you well, and the world's always been. I just think a lot of it's pride, though. Yeah, too. we get our feelings hurt. Yeah, we we do this, and, and a lot of times we kind of buck up to it. We don't. Yeah. We don't want to like this guy because he he hurt our feelings. Right. And yet, on the same by the same token, if even if this person has hurt me in some way, if I refuse to turn loose and I carry that grudge, it, who is? I'm probably doing more to me than he ever did. If I carry that grudge, I'm going to, and I think that we, we get to a point here where the Bible really gives us some help that the non-Christian doesn't have. It says, vengeance belongs to me. We overcome evil with good, but it don't mean that other person gets off scot-free. If, if, he, if he doesn't become better or repent or change the situation, it says vengeance belongs to God. So if this individual has really wronged me in some way, that I can go ahead and think, well, if he doesn't get this straight, uh, God will. And, and, and that, my mind, that can, in other words, that can be a bomb for my mind. That can be so. Now, the non-Christian doesn't have that. And so if he doesn't take care of it himself, it's like this person's going to get away from this. And, and we're made in the image of God. We have a sense of justice about us. And we don't like to see people get away with wrong, do we? I mean, even when we watch the news on TV and we see this culprit that has hurt somebody, whether he's raped them or murdered them or what, and if it looks like they're going to go free, it makes us mad even to 
to think about it. But as a Christian, we're really in a different frame of mind because we can call to our memory and say, hey, uh, God will take care. Vengeance uh, belongs to God. All right, now, what we're saying then through all of this, though, is that emotions have the potential to make you very, very, very unhealthy. Uh, mental breakdowns are physical breakdowns of, of parts of the body. But the other side of the coin is they have equal, equal potential to make you healthy. They can be like medicine. And so if we can reach the point that we are in control of our emotions, and so that uh, we can simply make a decision, no, I'm not going to let that do this to me. Uh, that, uh, or we can make a decision that, uh, uh, in fact, here's another passage over here in Philippians. Uh, turn over to Philippians, the fourth chapter. I read an, an example in one of those books, Paul, where it said that one person could have 90% going wrong for him and 10% going right, and he could dwell on the, the 10% and be a healthy person. And another person could have 90% going right and only 10% going bad, and he could dwell on the 10% the that was bad and be a miserable Right. In fact, maybe person. a good example of what you're saying is the perfectionist. Uh, the perfectionist can live a life where all kinds of things are going right and yet allow some little thing here that's not right to just uh, cause him all kinds of problems and make him an unhappy individual. What about the fellow that enjoys carrying a grudge? I'm well, sure you have that. some of those. You've got some of them, I yeah. but Some, some the, enjoy ill health, too. But he'll also have the health. And I think one yeah. thing that, uh, now maybe I shouldn't do this. Uh, if I, Maybe I do it in my own weakness. Uh, but anyway, in, in knowing this kind of thing, these individuals that, that you're around sometime and they just blow up and they don't care who they hurt or anything like that and they'll blow up and they curse and they put other people down and all. I'm sitting there thinking, you keep that up, fella, and you're, you're headed out here a few years early. You know, you're headed for a heart attack. You, you can, your body cannot handle that. No, no need to pop that guy. Uh, just let, let him go ahead and react like that. Uh, he will destroy his own body. Uh, and so when, when they're blowing up uh, like that, I'm thinking, hey, if you don't learn to control that, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to destroy your own body. But it, uh, it, it's, they can hurt us in any number of ways. But on the other hand, keep in mind, though, we can turn right around and reverse the process. Who was the guy, Barbara? I'm trying to think of the, the guys. It was Norman Cousins that... Um, was diet, had first had uh, cancer, the and they said it was terminal. And, uh, and uh, he had done a lot of studying in this, and so he was he agreed to become part of an experiment. And I believe it was a UCLA uh, School of Medicine. But what he did while he was in the hospital, he had them bring him just funny movies: Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, The Three Stooges, Lardy and Hardy, and anything that was funny. And he, for several hours a day, he would watch these funny things. And he didn't want any sad stories or anything like that. He just watched that. Well, he overcame. And they, they were cured. Of course, they're doing physical things, too. 
But the point is, his was supposed they to. They never been, thought that it would, he would get. Right. They, his was not supposed to. Well, then they, they've got a study still going on at the UCLA School of Medicine now. And so he lectured on this. He, he had a heart attack. Same thing. You know, he tried to fight it with good emotions, that I'm just going to be happy, I'm going to feel good, and, and I'm going to laugh and all. And he overcame that also. But, but the point that they made in the article I read, that uh, genetics did not hand him a good hand. I mean, he had, he had a body that, and of course we all know that separate apart from all of this, the genetics physics, physically deals each of us a different, a different hand. We all, we all know that. So whatever we do, we make the best of what we've got. But anyway, that uh, he lived probably a lot longer than he should have lived, just on going at it from this standpoint. When you go to the hospital to visit somebody that's sick, one of the absolute best things that you can do is bring a little cheer into that person's life. Uh, if you can cause them to laugh, uh, if you can uh, um, uh, cause them to have a light feeling, to smile, to to bring words. In other words, uh, uh, good doctors want ministers to come and visit the sick because they know that if they can say words that are comforting and encouraging and, and make that person, person feel more trust or more hope or everything, that this is an aid uh, to that individual coming out of there. Have you read Love, Laughter, and Medicine by uh, Bernie Siegel? Yeah, I have. It's you been know. a while. It's been several years. It's an older book, isn't it? Yeah. Same principle. Yeah. You know, this genetics, talking about we are all dealt a different hand, but I guess a good way maybe to say it is that you be, it's, if you have these emotions that the bundle calls right and good, then you will be as healthy as it's physically able for you to be, considering right. what you've been given. Right. Here is a statement on this, none of these disease for this doctor, let's see. Um, uh, no one can appreciate so fully as a doctor the amazing large percentage of human disease and suffering that is directly traceable to worry, fear, conflict, dissipation, and to unwholesome thinking. Then notice the next statement. The sincere acceptance of the principles and teachings of Christ with respect to the life of mental peace and joy the life of unselfish thought and clean living would wipe out more than half the difficulties, diseases, and sorrows of the human race. Okay, here in uh, Philippians 4 and verse uh, 6, uh, let's see, Lloyd, would you read that please, verses 6 through 9? Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your mind and minds through, through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, <clears throat> whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. 
those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Okay, and now. The peace of God shall be with you. Okay, pardon me. Notice that now when he says the God of peace will be with you, and then up there in verse 7, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. How, in this context, how is the peace of God in your heart coming about? What's God doing to get peace to your heart? How's he doing it? Well, it talks about thinking of those positive things. Okay, he says, be anxious for nothing. Uh, with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And then if you do this, in other words, if you're instead of being anxious, you pray to God, then the peace of God will guard your hearts. And then he tells you to think on these things. And then he says, these do and the peace of God will be with you. Uh, the peace of God, we can pray from now to doomsday for God to give peace to people's mind. But the truth of the matter is that God does it. But it's as we think on the information about what God is doing. As we think about the relationship we have with God, if we think about God causing things to work together for good for those that love Him, if we think about the fact that we have the remission of sins and eternal life and things like that, and we think on these positive things, if God be with us, who can be against us? In that way, God gives us peace. There's, there's no mystical or mysterious way that it, that it happens. And so, emotions then, strong reactions, every cell in the body is affected. Most positive things that we can do for the health of our mind and the health of our body is simply choose to think on right things. In other words, you can simply say to yourself, I'm not going to think on this, I'm going to think on that. And another thing it all says to me, and that is, it, I believe it's very important to just be a regular reader of the scriptures. I mean, uh, there's just something about, on a regular basis, sitting down and putting the scriptures on your mind before you start the day. I just... Uh, uh, I, I, at least it does more for me than, than anything else, just simply regularly reading and, and I think in, when you live in a world that is not only material but just about everybody you're in contact with thinks from the secular and the material way and I think we just simply need the constant reminder of, of really where all the important things are. Okay, any, uh, any comment so far for tonight? Further? Uh, one chart, I wished I had this chart. I used it when I was uh, uh, teaching science on the 7th and 8th grade. And that is, it had all the organs of the body, every, all of them up there identified. And then it had uh, uh, hate and anger and jealousy and love and tranquility and etc. And then on each organ, it gave you what happened to that organ when you felt that particular emotion. And I mean, it's just amazing to look and see that one of the greatest things to do with your body is to have peace of mind. And it's amazing to look at it and just see all the positive things that happen to your body if you feel peace or love or you trust or you have hope in your heart or anything. And then to look at it and see what's happened to all these very same organs 
Yeah, if we're full of hatred or, or we want vengeance or we're packing around a grudge or we have envy or any of that, they everyone have uh, negative responses within the organs of our body. What we'll do in uh, the next coming up studies, we'll take individual things uh, like worry or anger, etc., and specifically attack it from the standpoint of, of how do we win over that emotion. Uh, how do we, how can we handle every last one of those negative things in such a way that we control it uh, rather than it controlling us and therefore make ourselves both mentally and physically healthier. By the way, from an evidence standpoint too, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just one among many, but one of the evidences of the, of the law of the Bible or Christianity is the fact that, uh, uh, that from a standpoint of just objective science by doctors that are not even Christian, just like the author of this one book here, that they, they acknowledge that you cannot live a healthier life than the Christian life. You just simply cannot live in a healthier way than, than following the teaching of Christ. You know something that's been interesting to me, and it talk, I mean it goes to show you about how emotions affect, but you know, there's a there's a lot of elderly couples who, when one of the spouses die, the other one, you know, within just a matter of months ends up dying. Yeah. And uh, well, I, what happens sometimes is the person loses the will to live. If if they're up, I've known couples right. that are up they're, they're up in the 80s and 90s and all that one can lose the will to live. And by the way, also Mark on that. Uh, from everything I've read, when you go into the hospital or have any bad thing, your will to live has a whole lot to do with, you know, and the doctors know that, but whether or not you're going to fight it or not. I read a book on people's will to live, the, 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 dying and their, their ability to extend this to a certain point of time, like a birthday or a loved one coming from a far distance, they will they will live till they get there a lot of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I read articles on that. I didn't read the book, Joe, but I've read articles on the same thing that there's been any number of times where a person wanted to see. He made it to 101, but we thought my granddad would die and right after he hit 100. It's like that was his goal in those last years. He wanted to hit 100. You know, he just really wanted to. And of course, he made a little past 101, but they've had a number of examples, like you said, that a person wanted to make it to another, to a wedding anniversary or to some particular, they wanted to see a grandchild or something like that, and they actually made it to the event before dying. Any other comments? Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned in, maybe in class or sometime that Jesus gave in to death. He didn't fight it like the other two on the cross. You know, he, he died much earlier than they did. Right. They, uh, on the crucifixion, what I've read, that uh, the reason it was horrible is they wanted them to die a, over a long period of time. Sometimes they would actually, if they just left them up there, it would take three days, two or three days for them to die. And they would put the nail through where that there would not be a lot of bleeding. And they knew how to put them on there. They wanted them to suffer. So what would happen, though, they would hang on the cross. And in hanging down, they said, they would suffocate, they couldn't breathe because they couldn't expand their chest. And so they would take their legs 
and put it and push themselves up. And then when they push themselves up, they can get a breath. And then they go back down. And then when every time they breathe, they had to take their legs and push themselves up. So the reason they broke the legs of the thieves is when they broke their legs, what would then happen is they would suffocate. They couldn't they couldn't push themselves up to get catch a breath. Well, with Jesus already dead, in other words, to stay alive, he would have had to continue to do the same thing they did. And so what you have Jesus on the cross is saying, it's finished. Uh, Father, you know, into, my, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And the evidence is that, that he did not fight it. He just simply allowed himself to die. And, and in fulfillment of the prophecy that he was like a lamb going to the slaughter, but he simply didn't fight it at all. That's why that, you know, I have, when I've, I've always thought of that passage, Joe, when I think of, like, people talk about pulling the plug and everything in the hospital, that if I, if I reach the point where, you know, you're terminal and there's no hope or anything like that, uh, I have no problem at all just, you know, pulling whatever, you know, that uh, it's different if you've got some hope. amazing the things that we operate well under the emotions or what God God asks us to do and the bad things or things that he calls bad. Yeah. Sin. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell, enjoyed having you. I know that everybody here is old compared to you and, we could have, <laughs> and if it had been with kids your age we'd have juiced it up a little bit. Luke appreciated your comments too. Yeah. That, you made some exceptionally good comments. Luke's about right? to grow up on us, I yeah. think. Oh, I, don't really want to I just think the first time I saw Luke, he was two years old. And it's just amazing, you know, it's just like Barbara and I feel like he's just been raised right before us, you know. But uh, when they come to the house the my children were just fascinated by how sharp he was at two. He was just articulating sentences and, yeah, I mean, what and they saying said, all they, kinds of things. Every time they show me a truck or something, I can say exactly what it was. <laughs> they did that. We won't say much, Mitchell, or you won't be able to live with him. Get him off. <laughs> I bet I can tell by looking at Mitchell, he can bring you down to size real quick. <laughs> oh. 